my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super excited. I say super excited every time, so I'm going to say I'm doubly super excited today to be here with uh, a legend in our department. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's giving me a look. Uh, sorry, Dr. Marnie Goldenberg. How are you, Dr. G? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to to have you and finally get you on. And I'm um, sorry to make you blush with the legend, but you know, now that you are a uh, the Academy of Leisure Sciences fellow, um, that puts you in the legendary status, Dr. G, whether you like it or not. Um, and so uh, we are we are very excited. We're, we're celebrating here today. Uh, Dr. Goldenberg was inducted into the Academy of Leisure Sciences Fellows Program, which basically for for lack of a better way of putting it, I think it's like Everyone has heard of the who's who list. Well, that's like a who's who list in our academic discipline. And um, just couldn't be more excited for you. Um, you are so deserving. You, you've had such an amazing career. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I don't, I, I just said this to Jordan the other day who interviewed me for the newsletter, but that I don't feel like this award is just mine. I feel like it belongs to a lot of people that I've worked with and mentors that I've had and some really incredible, I was thinking about some of the grad students that we used to work with and the undergrad students and, you know, Bill Hendricks, you know what I mean? And having like mentors like that and colleagues that are supportive and excited and yeah, friends and family. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I, uh, you know, for, for, for those who don't know, um, Dr. Dr. Goldenberg has had a, a, um, uh, I guess it's been 20 years now here at Cal Poly, right? Right. Yeah, she, it has. Yeah. She's had a long and distinguished career. And, um, that's not to say in calling you a legend or anything like that, that you're about to hang it up. I know you're not, you're, uh, you're, you've uh, got a long ways ahead of you and a lot more to do. I know. And a lot more positive impact to make on the discipline. Um, but you know, I think it's, um, I think it's important to celebrate the accomplishments that, um, that we have in, in life and in, in our careers. Um, Dr. Goldenberg, uh, for, for those who don't know, has also reached a pinnacle um, here at Cal Poly in that she won the Distinguished Scholarship Award, which is the highest honor that you can get with research here at Cal Poly as well. And so um, it, it's just been a, a really fabulous career. And so I want to talk to you about that career. I think it's it's uh, along those lines of celebration um, and finally getting you on the podcast. I want to focus and tell people more about your career. So let's start uh, let, let's start with with the outdoors, right? You um you are uh, an outdoor recreation prof professor. That's your your area is outdoor recreation um, and adventure sports. I guess we added the adventure sports a few years back. but um tell us how you first got interested in the outdoors. We know we know you're a local. you come from San Luis Obispo. so you grew up in paradise. How did you get into the outdoors? was it was it slow? What was it? I am I think it was my family. I grew up camping and so, 
that was always a big thing that we did during the holidays and during the summer. Um, my dad was a faculty member at Poly and my mom was at that point a teacher aide. And so they had the summers off and we just spent a lot of time. We had a tent trailer and we went camping all over the place. And then I also remember like growing up and there was a creek near my house and spending hours near this creek and picking you know, collecting tadpoles and, you know, like stuff like that. And so I think that the outdoors has always been part of my life in what I want to do. Right. You know, we're, we're around the same age. And so uh, I love the tadpole. I, gr- I grew up with tadpoles too. Were we the tadpole uh, generation, <laughs> Dr. G? Maybe. <laughs> uh, 2,500 miles apart, but, uh, but I grew up collecting tadpoles too. So that's cool. Um, tell us about, um, you said a tent trailer. I want, I want our listeners who may be um, some uh, some who may be a little bit younger than than you and I. I want them to really picture what a tent trailer uh, is like. Tell us tell us about tell us about that tent trailer. It was a small trailer that we dragged behind the car, and then you wherever you went, you popped it up. And they have modern ones now, but this had canvas sides, and um, oh. I just remember taking it all over the place and camping. I, we camped in tents too on the ground, but I remember yeah. having a tent trailer was a big thing. I love it. I love it. So tell us your earliest memory of um, of a state or, or national park. Do you have an earliest memory? I remember spending time at Big Sur and Yosemite. Um, I mentioned the California parks. I remember we went to I think I was a little bit older, but Grand Canyon and, you know, some of the ones in Utah. So we did a lot of camping and road trips. I remember that that was a big thing during summers. Right, right. Is there one, um, when you think back on your childhood, is is there one that like really made an enormous impact on you that, um, that you remember more than the others? Like you just named like some iconic parks, right? I mean, Yosemite and Grand Canyon, but does one really stand out where, where it was like one of those type things where you feel like it propelled you to, to, um, to what you do today, like what, what you've done as a, in a, as a career? Good question. Um, I, when you just said that, I immediately went to Sequoia and Kings Canyon, um, oh. partly because I think my parents really, really loved it and yeah. the redwood trees. And that was always something that was very special, like a special place to go. But I think a lot of that, just any of the outdoor spaces and being in nature was a big thing for our family. I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. And now, and and you're you're pat you're obviously you and 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 your husband John are are passing that on uh to to read and 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 going all over the place and camping and you've got your you've got your own little tent trailer, right? But it's a, just a little yeah. bit a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear you. That's really cool. So let's talk about uh let's talk about the path uh to to becoming a professor. I mean, you know, we don't we don't have to get into to to all of the nitty-gritty necessarily, but um when did you first think to yourself Oh, maybe I will follow in dad's footsteps and become a professor. I mean, was that an early thing or? or well, you could say it was super early if you want to look back in that when I was a kid, everyone used to ask me, you know, what you want to be. Don't, don't, do we still do that to kids? I don't know. 
Um, but I always said I wanted to be a park ranger. And then I found out that park rangers actually have to carry guns or that's what I thought at the time. And I'm like, oh, oh I don't want to do that. I but I loved the idea of giving in nature and all of that. And that was an important thing for me. So when did I find out that I could actually do outdoors and recreation as a career was my undergrad at Sonoma State. I was actually hired as the outdoor pursuit student coordinator. Um, this was my second year in college. And I was like, I could do this for a career. And I was super excited about it. And then just like you, I went the campus recreation route that I was like, okay, then I want to stay on a campus and I want to, you know, run recreation programs for individuals. So that's what I think made me realize that I could do this and actually make a whole profession and a career and impact others using the outdoors. Yeah, I love it. And so you were getting that leadership, that 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 leadership and facil facilitation that's so important in the outdoors. You were getting that early on as an as an undergrad and that sort of propelled you. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and then I had people that believed in me and trusted me. And, you know, I can give a shout out to Pam Sue, who um, she's now moved on from Sonoma State, but she was at Sonoma State and hired me for that position. And, yeah. and that made a huge difference to me. Yeah. And, and you know, um, Dr. G, I, I would think just just from what I know of campus recreation, like one of the things I admired from the jump with campus recreation was the professional development model um that was utilized and in particular the outdoor the outdoor realm of campus recreation it was like magnified right because of what you said right like you're leading people and people trust you to lead groups out into these wilderness areas which is like not exactly you know it, it's it's tough it's not it's not a, uh, uh, you know, it's not like cakewalk in other words. And so do you think that really set you up for, for later and in, in coming to Cal Poly and learn by doing and that, do you think that? For had sure. A, yeah, for sure. Um, and especially I think back to my days at, you know, Sonoma state and, you know, besides running their outdoor program, I was learning about how to be a facilitator on ropes courses. And so that's my first experience with that. I was starting to go to some conferences and so continuing on and, realizing that that is such an important part in the whole learn by doing. Yeah. is definitely essential. Yeah. So, so campus recreation, so Sonoma state, and then, um, when did you, when did you, you know, I, I think this is interesting, like from a, uh, when you think about masters and PhD, you know I mean? I, I went on and I got my masters because I saw it as a way as a stepping stone where I thought I'd get a better job, in other words. And for me, actually, now that I think about it even more, I mean, I, I was a, I was what's called a time-limited hire in campus recreation. I think I've told you this. I got hired as assistant director of campus recreation. And um, I had already started my master's program, but they told me, um, you have one year to finish your master's or the, <laughs> I was getting paid this is really hilarious. $28,000. And if you get your master's, you'll get bumped up to 32,000. If you don't, you'll be fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was my, my incentive was $4,000. <laughs> but what was yours? What was yours? 
Um, the well, so I went to Sacramento, then I went abroad for a year and finished it. Um, oh, sorry, Sonoma, then abroad, then Sacramento. So I graduated from Sac State. Then I went to get my master's. In my master's, I was specifically going because I wanted to go into campus recreation. I knew that that was the only way to get a job in campus yeah. recreation. Yeah. Um, so I worked at Purdue University in campus recreation with a graduate assistantship, getting my master's. Yeah. Then I went and got a job in campus recreation and I was actually making under your 26,000. I think I was like, 20, I think I was like 22,000. Like my first <laughs> job. I, I, I like, kind of wonder whether I uh, got that wrong or not. And you're like, no, that's what it was. <laughs> that's how much it was. Yeah. So um, I did that for a couple of years and um, yeah, that experience that made me realize that when I was working in campus recreation, I had the opportunity to teach. Um, I was running the ropes course or climbing wall and doing right. some facility management right. and um, realized I loved the teaching side of it. Yeah. Like that was what was exciting to me. So that's why I decided to go back and get my PhD. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And that that's um, somewhat similar to me. You know, I had uh, I had I had club sports presidents and and I was doing professional development training for them. And I just love being in front of the room. And, um, and yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, so tell us now about PhD. So, um, you, uh, for, for those who don't know, um, University of Minnesota is, is, is known in our academic discipline as a really well-respected, uh, school. So tell us about the process of deciding, um, to go up to Minnesota, um, and, uh, and what that was like, how did I, how did California, how did the California gal adapt to the cold winters of Minnesota? Definitely challenging. Well, I'd already been at Purdue in Indiana. Oh, right. And then I, and then I was working in Ohio, um, at Miami university for two years in campus recreation. Um, right. but it was, it was definitely colder. Um, and I did the same tour that I think you probably did. And a lot of us did like going around looking at PhD programs and finding out what's going to be the best fit for you and um, all of that. And it just felt right. Working with Leo McAvoy was incredible. And um, just having that opportunity was really, really amazing. Yeah. And um, uh, people that um, are our age or, or older, um, of course, of course, know that name, Leo McAvoy and, and people that maybe pay attention and when they're reading textbooks, know that name, Leo McAvoy. Also, there was a, a legend, uh, speaking of legends, right? A legend in our, in our academic discipline. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember Dr. G, whether it was Leo or, or a different person of that generation. But it seems like it was Leo who spoke to a graduate class of mine, and he opened by saying, um, I started in recreation back in the days where we were trying to decide whether or not to have uh, cement or wooden picnic tables. And, uh, you know, cement caused hemorrhoids and, uh, and wooden gave splinters. <laughs> oh, my God. That's how he opened this <laughs> seminar, and I just like started dying laughing. And I can't now sit at a cement picnic table ever without thinking of that. You know, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but uh, so tell us, uh, tell us. You know, I I don't know that we necessarily need to get too far into PhD and and 
how much that takes, but but just tell us what your dissertation was on and how that, you know, that's supposed to propel you into um, a professorship. So tell us uh, what you did and, and whether or not that's true. Did it propel you? <laughs> yeah, I think it did. Um, and it started with my master's, actually, because I used means and looking at ropes courses with Dave Flanoski. So know, shout out to I Dave. I was trying Flanoski. to set you up for the means and I didn't realize that you did it in, with your master's, too. We actually published my master's thesis in leisure sciences, which was a huge deal at that time. Oh, um, and yeah. so then that was like, OK, I'm going to keep doing means end. And so I did means end. Um, in Minnesota, looking at Outward Bound. And I actually was working, I worked for Outward Bound for three summers as well. Um, so I collected data and continued with the MEM means and study, which means end for the people that don't know, is basically yes. looking at attributes, consequences, and values, and kind of why people participate in what they get from that participation and what the overall value is at that experience. Yes, and I love it. And and, and tell us, I mean, for those who who don't know, um, Dr. Goldenberg has um, become uh, a synonymous with means end and and um, and it has absolutely that that your use of that theory has has really propelled your career, I feel like, um, because, you know, it's become something that you you've become known known for. Right. And and um you know, I don't know that much about means in theory. I just remember when I first heard you speak, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. And that is so cool. And and I love that. And I just love that you've that you've stuck with it and used it as a means to to really, you know, like I said, propel your career, but but also to further the theory. Like where did means in theory originate? Was was it um it was marketing. It was a marketing tool to try marketing. to figure out why people were buying certain things. It started with greeting cards and greeting card selections. And, you know, why do people pick out a certain greeting card? And, you know, what is the value behind it eventually? So what's neat about it is I've just written a grant with both Carrie and Amber with our department. Um, we're going to start looking at um, neurodiversity and resilience rooms and at farmers markets, hopefully, if we get the grants. And um, collecting research using means and theory of what are the attributes, consequences, and values for people to go and be in these rooms, which for the people that don't know, I guess a resilience room is a, a, a space that is quiet, that um, is supportive of, you know, people that in our neurodiverse communities that, you know, need to not have all the extra stimulus that's going on, let's say at a farmer's market. And so we're going to look at what's going on with that. Yeah. I love it. It's such a great, uh, I think it's such a great area of research. And I love that, that, that you and, and Amber and Carrie are pursuing that further. And um, I know the Experience Innovation Lab is going to be important with that as well. And um, um, just really exciting stuff. So let's talk about that path from Minnesota back to your hometown of uh, San Luis Obispo. So did you just like do a backflip when you were like, when you were finishing up and a uh, position opened here at Cal Poly or, or not, or did you say, oh, I don't know whether I want to come home. What was, what was that process like? It's a great question. Um, I actually did not come straight here. I went to Green Mountain College for a year in Vermont. That's right, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. And um, 
that for a year. I had a one-year appointment as a faculty member, and the job actually came open when I started there, but it was only open as a full-time lecturer at Cal Poly. And um, I actually had a conversation with Bill, and I said, yeah, I'm really interested in it, but I'm going to wait for it to become a tenure-track position. And um, it did. And then I came and I interviewed and was, at that point, very, very excited to come home. I yeah. love and I'm uh, I'm sure uh, Stu and Janie were as well, and uh, that your family. It's really awesome. Um, so that was 2003 or so. Um, is that right? I started in fall of 2003, so I guess I interviewed. It was early January of 2003. Yeah, because I was home, and um, I just stayed a little longer and did the interview. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we we um we obviously don't need to to tick off all of the last 20 years, but I do one of the things that I said to you, I want this to be a celebration of your career. So, when you think back on um all the many accomplishments that you have, let's try to segment it, right? So that the that those first uh this first five years are really important for uh, one reason or another. Uh, for those who are not aware, the first, uh, you know, usually your first four to six years or so is when you're you're trying to get promoted and you're trying to get tenure. And so it's a really busy, you know, pretty stressful time. But when you look back on that time period, what are you uh, what are you most proud of? Um, maybe the. I think about the grad students then, like yeah. in working with grad students and working with colleagues in um, papers and some of the publications and some of the books and um, some of that stuff that came out, as well as figuring out the whole how to teach <laughs> and what is this teaching thing all about and right. you know how to how to do that on a full time basis and manage everything else. So I think it was just a balancing act at the beginning, trying to figure out how to make it all work and finding the right people. That I was excited and passionate to work with too. Yeah. Now you you wrote you you've written a couple of different books. So let, let's go down uh let's go down a little bit of a book path. So um when did you publish your first book? What what was that uh first book and and uh and and how meaningful was that? Was that was that a pretty good feeling? I'm trying to think which one it was because they came out around the same time. Um, I did a book with Bruce Martin, um, WEA on hiking and backpacking. Um, and then I also was working with Teresa Love, who was at Cal Poly at the time. And um, that was on movies and how to use movies in the classroom. Yeah, and that was that super one. fun. Yeah, <laughs> we would watch movies and we would just be able to write up the movies yeah. and say, you know, like which parts were important and how they related to different classes and stuff. And yeah. So that was kind of a fun practical book to write. Yeah, and you know the 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 backpacking one. I mean, I imagine that one that one's still in circulation, is it not? I w I don't know. I would think, actually. I, mean, I would think it would be. Um, but but I do remember you getting a lot of accolades for the the movie one because it was like you know back in that in that time. I mean, that was like the blockbuster era right? <laughs> right exactly we're the still movies renting are... movies on vhs yeah, yeah it was like the golden age of movies right and so uh, uh people would people would probably 
say I'm wrong about that. It wasn't really the golden age <laughs> of movies, but but you know what I mean. Like block blockbuster where that was at its height and Netflix hadn't taken over yet. And so we used movies more in the classroom. And I, I think you kind of pushed people, um, you and Teresa pushed people to to kind of do that a little bit more, to to think about how movies might relate to our field and our our discipline. And uh I thought I just remember thinking how cool that was when you were when you were doing Let's talk about the many partnerships that you've had over the years. You know, you mentioned Outward Bound and and um, and I know there's a number of other organizations that have been really instrumental to, to helping you along your path. When you when you think about um, those partnerships, which which ones have have been more meaningful and, and maybe maybe point uh, maybe one on the research side and one on maybe the teaching side? I can't, I can't narrow it down for research. I mean, there's been a lot of really incredible partnerships that, you know, organizations that have opened up their participants and been willing for us to come do research, you know, anything from Hourbound and Knowles to First Descents to, you know, the Tour de Pink um, charity bike ride. Like there's just, I could go on and on about different partnerships that have been really open to research. Um, And then as far as partnerships with teaching, I can't, I'm so grateful for our community partners. Like I can't, I, I'm trying to, like I'm planning right now for 210 in the spring and thinking about what community partners and these partners are still incredible and they're excited and they're willing to work with students. And that gets me excited and motivated and energized. And there's, there's too many to name. I mean, some of them have been around for ever that, you know, the city of San Luis Obispo, Parks and Rec, you know, Grover Beach, a city of Rural Grande, you know, it's like yeah. all of these, Special you know, Vital, you know, the blood yeah. banks, Special Olympic. I mean, it's like yeah. the list goes on and on. And it's like, yeah. these are amazing partners that have really shaped and created Learn by Doing for our students. Yeah. Um, and it caused huge aha moments for me as well, you know, that, right. that have been incredible. Yeah. yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that, um, Doctor G. I think that's an important one that that a lot of people who are have never taught college uh, college classes or, or or never taught themselves don't really fully understand. But but teaching and learning is a two way street, and and I think you've always embraced that notion. And um, and uh, you know, for those who don't know, we just mentioned 210, um, but RPTA 210 is is one of the, the core courses um, that Dr. G has taught. And so many of our students over the years have gone through that. And that is a course that is set up with um, with partners and with community partners. And Dr. G has just done an amazing job over the years in, in connecting with these people and and creating these opportunities. But let let let's focus on that two-way street. Can you can you reflect on that a little bit? Like what teaching has meant to you and in, in your growth and development and and what it's been like for you over the years? For sure. Um I feel like I'm constantly learning. I feel like every time I go in the classroom i'm like wait what's happening <laughs> what am i learning today um you have to be doing that if if you don't do that and you're not learning then you just become stagnant and yeah. and i think i mean if you look at the pandemic i mean that forced us to learn different ways of teaching and some of it worked some of it didn't um 
you know what I mean? Like some of it was really positive. Some of it probably wasn't, but, and then how to make the connections. And I think that we're constantly on this rotating basis. Yeah. Did it, do you feel like it coming out of the pandemic gave you more passion for, for learning and, and what we do and, and teaching now that we're back in the classroom? Do you feel like, Maybe, do you feel yes. like you have a jolt? <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you got a jolt once we kind of got back to, to normal? <laughs> it's so much like it wasn't teaching before. No. Like you didn't have the connection. You didn't. Everyone was just a little square box. Yeah. Like we are right now to each other, just a square yeah. box. And it's yeah. like, it's just, it's it just people aren't square boxes. Yeah. People are so much more than square boxes. Yeah. And so realizing that is such an important thing in. So. Yeah, I do not embrace. I know that like when we first came back from the pandemic, some of us were trying to both do zoom and teach in person and all of that to try to and i hated that i didn't i was like i can't do this it just it was like it was so i know i know i was originally a big proponent of it because i was like we've got to be able to give we've got to give everyone the flexibility because and it was true i think we did the right thing in doing that we were trying to be you know we were trying to show empathy and we were trying to be flexible but yeah it wasn't it wasn't really, it wasn't a really good, <laughs> it wasn't a really no. good time, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. So but a lot of people don't realize back. that like once we came back, we had this like weird transition where we weren't really back because we were all trying to like be all things to all people. And, and it just, yeah, the boxes thing, teaching the boxes is just um really, really frustrating. And, um, but since we've come back, it's just, I feel like we've had this, um, this year in particular, I feel like it, uh, maybe last year too, it's just been this jolt of energy of, of feeling like, ah, uh, okay, you know, we're starting to get back into the, you know, we're back in the community. We're back with our partnerships. We're back doing the things that we love, like going to conferences and connecting with each other. And yeah, so it feels great. Um, I probably should have run this by you before uh, before I uh, before we started, but um, but I I, I do want to ask you about this. You you are a survivor. You are a cancer survivor, and um, I I know that you don't mind talking about it because you you're a proud survivor, and you you've you've done research on um on on the space and on the experience, and um, I wonder if you can just talk to what that period of time meant in your life and and what type of outlook it's given you on on life and and everything else i think well for me um some of my students will probably remember i actually taught through chemo um and that was actually one of the most rewarding quarters for me in rewarding years um just the the empathy that not only I got, but I was able to give because so many students could relate, understand, connect through that connection, um, which was really, really powerful. And then I was really excited that I could then use that to help guide and shape the direction of where I wanted to go with research, which was really neat as well. And then I found students that we're excited to jump in and help with that yeah. and create where that went. And so, you know, we did some really cool projects with First Descents. Um, I worked with a grad student in kinesiology, and that was amazing. I was able to then to, you know, 
do stuff with Tour de Pink, which is the charity sporting event. And um, Dr. Schwab and I were able to spend some time on the uh, while they were writing, interviewing people and talking to people. And I mean, it's just been incredible to be able to use something that was a very big challenge, but then to help make it into a strength, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, it does. It does. And, and I, I imagine through that process, you, you, you realize how many people have been touched by, by cancer. Um, and, yeah. and you did this, this feeling of community and spirit of community and, and spirit of empathy, like you said, I imagine, um, is that, is that something that, um, is similar in some ways to like the outdoor community or similar in some ways to the community communities that you've been a part of. Like um, it, it feels like when I, in just looking at it from afar, it, fe it feels like that that helps to strengthen everyone it, that, that feeling of, of community. Is that, I is think, that yeah, I think it's, it's the sense of connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Jamie Patton just came into my class and talked about how Cal Poly, one of their major goals is to always have a sense of community and a sense of connection. And um, that is just so important in, in understanding that we're all people and we all have our challenges. Mm -hmm. We all have our strengths. Mm -hmm. We all have our highs and our lows and, and yeah. being open to kind of being receptive and understanding to gather that in, I think is so important. And so, yes, I think that that was one of the times in my life that I really felt the mutual connection to so many people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, Dr. G, I feel like that's been one of the strengths of our department over the years is this, is this feeling of connection and this feeling of community. And, and this year has, um, has felt like we're really getting that back. And, and, um, you know, I, I know Dr. Dr. Hendricks over the years, um, and, you know, Dr. Dr. Shank and, and, um, Cynthia Moyer and, um, Lynn Jameson, all those people who came before us, right. I know that they, they cared about that very deeply and, um, and just feeling like now, um, that we're really gonna lean into to continuing that right and getting back to that like in the classroom this 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 uh, i've got two sections of senior project this quarter and and i just feel this like immense sense of connection with them that like you said i didn't feel in those boxes <laughs> because these are all kids that i had in those boxes where I didn't even really know what half of them looked like, um, <laughs> you know, for totally. a couple of years, you know, and um, so um, let's let's now focus and, and end on on this uh, this amazing honor that you've recently gotten um, down at the uh, the Academy of Leisure Sciences conference in, in New Orleans. Um, that was, I, I guess just last week, wasn't it? Um, it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so tell us, uh, tell us what that experience was like. Um, for, for those who, who don't know the Academy of, of Leisure Sciences, I mentioned it earlier that Dr. Goldenberg was, was named a fellow 
and one of I believe maybe fifty all time. Is that something something like that? I think it's a round number. Um, in order to get um, in order to get named a fellow, you have to be nominated by a fellow. And um, Dr. Hendricks is a fellow, and Dr. Hendricks um, nominated uh, Dr. Goldenberg, and um, and then I believe it's a vote of all the all the fellows then make the vote um, of whether or not to, to to let you in as a fellow. And so, tell us what that experience was like, and and um, and what it means to you. Well, it means a lot. First off, so Bill contacted me and you know asked me or suggested that he would like to nominate me and um, that Dan Destin would be willing to write a second nomination for me. And um, I mean, these are people I admire and look up to and um, it's humbling. <laughs> That's the best word I know how to describe. The whole experience seems very humbling to me. Um, very much an honor. Um, I don't fully even understand, I guess, all the responsibilities or what the role is going to be of a Taos fellow, but just this is something that I've seen and heard about. And, you know, Leo McAvoy was a fellow and, you know, all of that throughout my years of being a grad student and being a faculty member. And so it's, it's pretty surreal. That makes sense. Yeah. I bet. I bet. And, and, you know, it's someone who has, um, you know, obviously my, my path was, was very similar to yours and that, I graduated with a recreation parks and tourism degree. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that not everyone does, right? Like, um, not everyone goes through that path. There's, there's many different paths. And, and, um, but as far as our academic discipline, we came through the traditional route, right? So we're able to kind of have a uh, perspective on um, on how much that means and how much being named a fellow means and and I'm just um, I couldn't be I couldn't be any more proud of you and and excited for you and um, wish I could have been there uh, to uh, to to toast and and uh, uh, eat a bin a beignet uh, in your honor. <laughs> okay, I, I was gonna say drink a hurricane, but I would I would not be drinking a hurricane. <laughs> but uh, maybe eating a po' boy sandwich or something like that. But uh, but um, yeah, just just want to you know again just say. Um, congratulations and um and just express how much you've you've meant um to me as a um a, as both a, a mentor a colleague um a, a trusted confidant um and, and someone that that I can count on and um just just want to to say thanks for all of that and congratulations again on on reaching this this the pinnacle of our academic discipline and, and being named a fellow. I know you have a ton more to do in the, in the discipline and I know you're going to. Um, so, you know, maybe we can revisit this again when you retire, when you announce your retirement in like 20, 30 years. Cause, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but congratulations again. Thank you. Thanks for um, talking to me and chatting yes. with me and, this has been fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate appreciate you coming on. See ya. Bye. Bye.